Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we speak with Navajo chef Brian Yazzie, this year's keynote speaker at the Native American Alumni Dinner and guest chef at USD's 47th Annual with Chippy. Brian, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good on my first uh, cup of coffee. I'm just waking up. Yeah, I'm doing good. Well, I know we got you up early. You're uh, here for um, the alumni dinner for the Native American uh, Cultural Center and Student Services um, that they host. Um, wh- where do you come from, I guess? Where, do you, where are you currently stationed? Uh, I'm based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. And originally I'm from the Navajo Nation, from a small community called Denahotso, Arizona. And if you're familiar with uh, Mountain Valley, that is basically my backyard. So the town I'm from is on the northeast part of the Navajo Nation on the Arizona side. Now, you were here last year. How did you get connected with USD? Yeah, so a family friend of mine, um, Deidre uh, Whiteman, she was um, part of the the, um, the Native uh, Club here on campus last year. you know. And with her knowing the type of work that I do, you know, and they were looking for a native caterer for um, their, their event last year. You know, so she ended up reaching out to me and asking if I had an open date for the, you know, for the, um, for the dates coming up and also if I was able to provide a, a feast, not just for um, the, the powwow, but also for um, the alumni dinner, you know, and th- that's basically how I was able to, to come out here. So I, I, talk a little bit about, I guess, your expertise. I mean, it's in something that we call indigenous cooking. What is indigenous cooking? Um, it, it depends. It's basically, you know, before the term farm to table or keto diet or paleo diet. You know, it's before that. It's our original food of, of you know, just eating off the landscape, you know, um, eating with the season, you know, um, when to go hunting, when to get wild game meat, and when to forage um, fiddleheads or um, ramps or different types of mushroom, you know, just eating with the landscape and knowing when and, and seasonally to harvest these type of ingredients, you know, or, or when to plant harvest uh, corn, bean, or squash, you know. So just originally eating what we had here before European contact, you know, that's basically what, what is indigenous cooking or indigenous food. You know, and obviously it would vary from region to region. I mean, what would be some of the differences maybe that you would see in some of the food like where you grew up in Arizona versus what you might find here in South Dakota as far as indigenous cooking? Yeah, so definitely the food culture is different here. Before moving to Minnesota, my fiance and I, you know, I did not know what walleye was or whitefish or or even wild rice. Now, I did not know what those ingredients were until we moved here and we were attending the um, – a powwow at the American Indian Center in 2013, you know, and they had a traditional traditional feast, and I was handed a plate with fish and wild rice, you know, and to me, those were foreign ingredients. I didn't know what they were, so and I had a family elder, Sandy Whitehawk, you know, she she was telling me, you know, this is um walleye coming from the Red Lake Nation, north of Minneapolis, and you have white earth wild rice coming from one of the the rice beds of northern Minnesota. You know, so just learning that in general is like it was a whole different world for me compared to the food culture that we have in the southwest. You know, we have chilies, we have corn, bean, and squash for sure, but we don't have wild rice, you know, we don't have walleye. You know, we have a lot of small game meat like prairie dogs or um rabbit. Then you have venison of course, you know. 
Well, to back up a second, I mean, what got you into cooking? Was it always a huge part of your life? Yeah, so I started cooking at the age of seven, you know, being the youngest out of eight siblings. I mean, raised by a single parent, I, um, you know, my older siblings would be out playing, you know, doing whatever, and have left behind at home watching Gargoyles or Power Rangers, whatever was popular back then, you know? So, you know, watching those and the curiosity brought me to the kitchen to where the tapping of the knife on the cutting board or the aromatics coming from the kitchen, you know, just curious of what my mom's doing, you know, working 12 to 18 hour shift, being a, a, a door maid at the boarding school back then, you know, right off of, right out of work, she would come home and start cooking dinner for the whole family, you know, regardless if she's tired or not, you know, and that unconditional love. So one day that brought me to the kitchen, you know, so I started helping her chop up veg, I'm stirring the soup or setting up the table and even doing the dishes, you know, but during that time, I didn't know what indigenous food was, but I knew what corn, bean, and squash, and potatoes were, you know, so just cutting those up and making those, and then growing up into high school, into um, into my early 20s, you know, just doing backyard cookouts or helping my family cook, and also um, working at a few restaurants in, in the Phoenix area, you know, just a couple of um, restaurants that I kind of t- did, like, prep cook and small, um, small areas like that, and... Yeah, so I would say my mom basically would, um, you know, taught me how to cook and the interest of um, getting a passion for cooking in a way. Yeah, so when did you think about that this was something that you might want to actually do professionally? I mean, was there like a moment? Was there like a particular dish, I guess, that you were like, holy, I I mean, I can make this. This is good. I mean, or was it a little bit maybe more incremental or gradual? Um, My fiance, you know, she knew I had a passion for cooking. Well, everyone did in my family, you know, but I didn't know what, what career choice to pick. In 2013, when we moved to Minnesota, you know, for her, she knew what she wanted to do, and that was to become an an um, RN registered nurse, you know, and so she knew what she wanted to do. But for me, I wasn't sure because during that time, I was doing the labor work as a rodbuster, you know, and just doing odd jobs which I didn't have a passion for. So, and I was looking. She was going back to college, and I was looking at the um, the programs at St. Paul College, and it's like. Let me see. Let me look into this program and see what I can find. And I seen um, a phlebotomy. You know, I was like, a pharmacy technician. You know, I was like, the money's good in that field. You know, the only thing I was looking at was the money part, you know, to be financially stable in a way. Moving to a new area, starting over. And she was telling me, what do you have to do with that field, <laughs> you know, if you just want money, you know? And she was like, you love to cook, you know, why don't you make that a career choice, you know? So I was like, okay. And then one day I received the brochure in the mail from St. Paul College uh, Culinary Arts. And I remember looking at the brochure, you had all the shiny appliances, you know, you had the, the kitchen lab, the, the new 1.5 million renovated kitchen space on the second floor, all that was in the brochure. So I went to their open house and I got to meet um, the faculty, the, the chefs, instructors, you know, I got to, to tour the whole facility. And I compared that with um, the Cordon Bleu back then that was still open in in Minneapolis. And I compared the tuition and the program. And St. Paul had the same program, but the, the tuition was half the cost. You know, so I ended up going with St. Paul College Culinary Arts. And at that point, it's what got me into indigenous food. Because 
one day we had, we had a um, this type of homework to where if you're going to take culinary as a profession, what career path would you pick? What cuisine would you work with? That, that was our, our, um, our homework, you know, and that was a big question mark for me because I like to barbecue for sure. You know, I like all types of food. And I was looking at the, um, the textbook one day and I was looking at these different cuisines from across the world. You know, I was, I was like, okay, I, I, I like this cuisine. You know, I like this cuisine. And, and I started noticing these different ingredients. And I, and I realized that not only did um, the indigenous ingredients of the Americas or of North America survive manifest destiny or colonization, but it's to help supply the world. So looking at these different cuisines, over 50% of these dish have ingredients from the Americas, you know? So I started realizing that and started researching, look into that more. So I started focusing more on native food. You know, I was looking beyond fried bread or beyond Indian tacos or Navajo tacos to see what was out there, you know, what was original food, you know? You know, last year, I remember we spoke and you had this like awesome quote and I just want to know if you want to elaborate on it. You said that you can go to any block in any city and get all types of cuisine in the world but you can't get any from your own backyard. And I, 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 that just has stuck with me. How do you, I guess, balance all of these kind of different competing priorities, you know, as you are, you know, trying to go out there as a, as a chef and as, you know, I don't want to say like an activist, but to a certain extent, you, you do, I don't know, do a lot of education about the type of food that you cook um, and why it's important for people to eat it and be around it. Yeah, for sure. Um, the type of style of um, food or concept that I have, I call um, intertribal foodways, meaning I don't only focus on one regional indigenous um, food culture. I try and do different region, um, regional ingredients from across um, the Americas, from Mexico to Alaska to Canada, you know, East Coast to um, West Coast. And, and I use these different ingredients and I prepare that into one dish. You know, and, and to me, that is cooking in two worlds, you know, basically putting myself back in my ancestors' shoes hundreds of years ago and being creative with that, with modern techniques and modern equipment that we have in the kitchen today, you know, so just cooking in two different worlds. And, and, and no, you're right, you know, I noticed that being, being a chef, being a cook, isn't just about being in the kitchen or serving food, because there's more to that and there's a story to be told about what ingredients are on the dish and where they came from, what farm, what forager, what hunter, you know, so there's always a story that comes with each plate that I put down. And and to me, that is also being a teacher, you know, bringing awareness of the original food that we had here before. And also um, being a food activist as well, because there's only a handful of us that do this type of work, you know, and, and like you said, you know, there's, uh, there's new trends that are always coming up. And let's focus on the Western culinary perspective with the non-native culinary perspective to where you have these terms coming up, romanticized terms like farm to table or paleo or keto, you know. But then if you look at those those categories, you know, those are just basically the original food that we had here before, you know. So so being a food activist and being a teacher, you know, I help uh, cover the um, culinary cultural appropriation with a, um, a group called I Collective, and we're um, a collective of chefs seed keepers, you know, foragers and hunters who focus on food justice and, uh, and social work within the food sovereignty. You know, what is the difference, I guess, between 
like a home cook and you know someone who's professionally trained is there is it technique is it um, a little bit more intellectual the way you think about ingredients I mean as someone who like I love to cook right but I would not you know I, I wouldn't write home about it right like what what is what's the difference between a, a real professional and someone who maybe is just like good in their home kitchen there's really no difference it's just, you know, the only difference is having a title executive chef or a sous chef or a prep cook in an established kitchen, um, in an established restaurant or cafe, you know, just having that title compared to being a good cook at home and having that passion for cooking, there's really no difference. The only difference is that you're stuck in the kitchen for 10 to 15 hours at a time. You know, compared to having the same passion and you're cooking at home like half that time, you know, but you have that same passion for it and that same creativity, you know, but the only thing is that the title that, you know, you would be given. And for me, like I said, you know, I started cooking for my mom, you know, and she she was in the kitchen um, as much as I remember, like five or six hours per day, you know, and to me, that was like being on the line at an actual restaurant, you know, and learning from her, but she wasn't as strict as the, as it would be, you know, being on the line, she was more open w- with um, teaching me how to cook and just having that that passion for it. You know, do you have like a particular ingredient that you just love to cook? Yeah, I. I mean, I, I always loved salmon growing up. Just different ways of making salmon. You know, making the, the spread a um, a, um, a pate or. Um, you know, making um, salmon cakes or, or just searing it, you know. So one of my go-to dish is a, um, it's a prairie sage and um, Minnesota maple glaze um, northwest on salmon. So uh, I would sear the salmon, and then right before I bake it off, I would glaze it with, um, with toasted sage and, um, and Minnesota maple syrup, you know, or, or else birch syrup. You know, I would glaze that in the oven and also make a, um, a Minnesota wild rice, I'm saying Minnesota because there's different areas of getting wild rice, different reservations have their own kind, you know, so it depends there in that time what I have. So in Minnesota, um, wild rice pilaf, you know, with um, sunchokes or um, um, ramps or um, um, turnips, you know, different ingredients making that rice pilaf. And then using the uh, New Mexico hatch green chili and cactus pad salsa, you know, so having these different ingredients from different region, and cre- just creating a whole different flavor profile, you know, because being in the being the Southwest, you know, you, you wouldn't hear about wild rice, you know, and being in the Midwest, you know, you can't really get salmon. Right. You know, so now I'm I'm checking the clock here. I'm trying to figure out when lunchtime is. I'm getting hungry <laughs> over here. What What are you gonna cook? Um, you know, for the participants of uh, you know, the powwow and the alumni dinner, um, this weekend. I mean, is there anything that we should look forward to on the menu? Yeah, similar to the same as last year. Um. The only difference is um, I'm using more of the, the forage ingredients to slow cook the meats with. So we have cedar. They'll be cooking the um, the, the bison with, slow cooking the bison with uh, cedar, smoked salt, and also um, sweet grass, a braid of sweet grass. We'll be roasting that off with, uh, with turkey as well, you know. And um, then we have a, a quinoa and um, wild vinaigrette, wild berry vinaigrette um, salad. And then we have a traditional Navajo dessert, which is called um, blue corn mush, what's in my tribe. But then it's more like a um, like a cornmeal parfait, like a corn pudding. So okay. that's something new that I'll be serving this year and with um, fresh berries and um, walnuts and sunflower seeds on top. Then we're also doing a um, cranberry and sage um, 
iced tea. Well, depending on how it is tomorrow, but we may do it, you know, serve it hot. But right. well, right now for sure, it'll be ice, iced tea. Um, well, that sounds delicious. Um, you know, you were here last year, and you kind of saw the environment that exists here yeah. um, with Native students. I mean, one thing that you said, and that I think, again, it was so awesome to have you here, was that you know you view it as important to like provide a kind of like a home cooked meal for you know kids that are probably away from home right who um, you know don't get traditional food that they're used to um, on a regular basis what what is your message you're going to be the keynote speaker at our alumni dinner um, tomorrow night i guess what is your message that you know you're going to give to the students and to the alumni here at USD um, when you get up there and talk the the keynote what i'll be talking about is basically how I, how I got into cooking, you know, and what got me started. And, and, and from there, you know, where I'm at today, and basically it's a, um, a journey back to ancestral food and how cooking saved my life because growing up in my teen years, in my early 20s, you know, I, uh, I was in an environment, a negative environment about gang activities and, um, and that type of situation. You know, I grew up in that, in, in that environment and but cooking was always on the back burner for me to where I would always come home and help my, my siblings cook or my mom you know help help my mom cook and that always took me off the streets you know but I was also involved in that in that activity in the city and on the reservation you know and and growing up in that and knowing there's a difference different lifestyles you know and then in my early 20s when I got to meet my um my fiance Hunmana you know, she, in a way, she also changed my life, showed me a different route, a different path in life, that it's okay to be humble and you don't have to prove yourself, you know, at all times in a negative way. You know, so um, cooking saved my life and my fiance as well. But just sharing that those stories, you know, having the Native community here on campus and the, the poverty and the, the, the negative environment that uh, most of them come from. You know, but hearing that story of of redemption and um and changing the lifestyle is something you know uh, I like to share, and not not just with the native youth, but tribal communities, and just you know just hearing a um a positive story of something negative. You know, the last question that we usually like to ask is a little bit introspective. You kind of just provided maybe a little bit of an answer, but at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? Patience, you know, patience just. I was. I've always been on on the on the run, on the go. You know, I I never had a chance to ever sit back and and think about the past years of what I did. You know, so now being being in a situation where I'm able to be humble and to sit back and look at the past years. You know, and being able to have that patience to to live to live life in in a, in a slower way than how I, I i used to live you know so definitely patience now you know is something that i'm learning and just that humility of it as well brian um thank you so much for coming back to usd we are always super excited to have you here thank you for having me thanks thank you for listening to credit hour a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the university of south dakota Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 